0: Well, we're working our way through the book of Ephesians uh, this this month, really, the most of July and August. And uh, this last week, I went and spent some time with a new family here at St. Michael's, the Linsteads. I don't know if you've met the Linsteads yet, but they're a a young seminary family with two young children. And Bennett was just born a few days ago, and so it was so much fun to hold Bennett and talk to Bennett and also to hang out with um, Bennett's sister, Caitlin. If you've not met them, they're a wonderful family. And I just love hanging out with kids that are little because it brings back such good memories. Because it brings such good memories of watching my five children grow and and from their birth to where they're at now. The joy of a dad watching their children becoming. And today, as we continue in the book of Ephesians, we have a fatherly letter. The Apostle Paul as a father writes a letter of concern and of thanksgiving to a community of faith. In particular, Paul's letter, the way we're framing it for this series, is that he is primarily interested in questions of identity. Who are you? Whose are you? In particular, in the context of potential apostasy, meaning potentially leaving their faith because of the pressures that they were under. And so Paul was concerned, as a father is of his child, losing his or her identity. So far, we've used three words to talk about our identity from the lens of Paul's letter. That we, as God's family, as Christians, as the church, are blessed. That we are citizens or members of God's family through the reconciling love of God. And then last week, we are full of the Spirit of God. We are full of the presence of God. Those are three things that we can say about our identity. And this morning, the the fourth word we're going to use is the word responsible. Say that word with me. Responsible. Responsible. That we are responsible to grow or we are responsible to become what we are. Our identity has a sense of responsibility. And Paul's encouragement, Paul's heart, is that his community, that his children in the faith, if you will, would live into their identity. They would live into their identity. We hear this sense of passionate fatherly love from Paul. I urge you, in verse one, I urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of your calling to walk in a manner worthy of your identity, for the word we've been using, with all humility, always eager to maintain the unity, for there is one body and one spirit. Do you feel the father urge from Paul? I urge you to walk in a way worthy of who you are. And so I was just rattling through my raising of my kids and the things that I've urged them over the years. And I remember Bryce was the one who had the hardest time learning to ride a bike. A lot of anxiety as he crashed into trees. Bryce, you can do it. You can do it. Wyatt's big struggle was as a sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth grader, he hated writing. And it was so hard to watch the crocodile tears flow as he just didn't want to write and didn't know how to do it urging Micah that she could ride her horse after she got thrown off, urging Gabe nowadays to stay on budget. You can do it, buddy. And Zach, I've been working with him and I don't know if he'll ever get it. And I asked him permission to tease him this morning. He's out delivering VBS flyers at the moment, but to tease him that I've spent four years reminding you to shave, young man. You're a man now. Shaving is a part of the deal. Urging him to to do what he needs to do, to be responsible. In other words, being worthy of your calling, being who you are, growing into your shoes is a language I've used over my time with the, you know, working through that imagery of that we have shoes to fill as persons made in the image of God, as women and men made in the image of God. We have a destiny, a calling, an identity. And it's not an identity we're just given and we're done. Rather, it's an identity that urges us forward until our dying day, that urges us forward until we are transitioned, translated from the life in this world to the life of heaven. Live worthy of your calling as individual children of God and as a family of God. Paul was not talking just to individual Christians, he was talking to individual Christians who made up a community of faith or a family like. We do. For there is one body and one spirit. There's a sense of identity that's calling us forward into being who we are as his family. God is not leading us into sameness. He's not even leading us into niceness, but he is leading us into a clear sense of identity. This is where we're heading. This is who we are. We are children of God. We are the family of God called to become what we are. So live into your identity. And I want you to live into your identity. Paul, again, father love to a parish, struggling with whether or not they're even going to continue being Christians. I want you to live into your identity by caring for your responsibilities, by caring for your responsibilities. The text says in verse seven, but grace. Grace. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then a few verses later, he'll talk about the grace that was given to some to be apostles and some to be evangelists and some to be prophets and some to be pastors and teachers. I remember my call into ministry pretty vividly. It happened in 12th grade when my local church hired a staff person who was over the youth and Pastor Scott loved me well and helped me understand more and more of who I was as a 12th grader. And he called me to, would you be willing to to preach this year at the youth service? (laughs) What are you talking about? Was my reaction. But he believed in me. He he saw potential. He, He trained me. He worked with me. He invested in my life. And that was where my call began in earnest. And it's pretty normal to talk about persons like John or I being called to ministry. But I believe it's vitally important that we understand that that call is secondary. A call to a particular vocation in the church is secondary to a call that is to whom? But grace, the text says, but the call of God the power of God, the will of God was given to whom? To each one of us. And as we follow Paul's thought through this chapter, we'll understand that even those who are called into vocational ministry, meaning that's how my livelihood is gathered, that's how I pay my bills, is that you guys are in a partnership with me so that I have food on my table, that I can fulfill a vocational call in the life of the church. But my call is secondary because my primary ministry, my primary call is to help you be in ministry, to help you live into the shoes you have, to help you be who God's called you to be. God gave some to be apostles, prophets. I forgot one, evangelists, teachers. So that, and we'll get to that text in just a minute. But the idea though is that we are the body of Christ and therefore you are a body part designed to do something. And we'll see that in others of Paul's letters, Romans, I mean, 1 Corinthians in particular, where he'll talk about, we're all different. But just because we're a hand or just because we're a foot doesn't mean we're not important. That every part of the body fulfilling its responsibility is important for a healthy body. My hands are, they're different from my brain, but if my hands don't do anything, then that's a problem, isn't it? You don't have a healthy body if a body part doesn't do what it's created to do. You are a part of the body of Christ. We're we're pushing the metaphor further than, you know, we, we can push it. The idea, though, that you are a body part designed to do something useful for the whole as the whole moves towards its purpose or its identity. In other words, you are called to be a responsible body part. You are called to be a responsible child of God who understands that you are called, that you are graced, is the language Paul uses, that you are graced for body part behavior, (laughs) to do what you are created to do as a person made in his image. We are called to live into our identity by caring for our responsibilities so that you can help the whole mature. Paul's argument continuing. So that you can help the whole mature. Switch back to verse 7 again. By grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Some were given vocational callings, vocational gifts. Two probably the most important word in this whole chapter, to, in order that the saints might be equipped for the work of ministry, why? For the building up of the body of Christ, why? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, why? Until we all attain to mature manhood, mature womanhood. Mature, who we are in God, who we are made in God to be and to become. And I think it's really important that as we think about becoming mature, being responsible to mature, that in the Christian life, there is always an I-N-G at the end. There is always an I-N-G at the end, meaning God has called you to be mature. That does not mean you're mature and you're done and you can punch your time clock and just go on into heaven eventually. No, it's always a maturing, maturing. We are always maturing so that the intent of God is that our maturing process will move us all the way to our last breath and continue into heaven. And that today's purpose is for you to grow a little more into that maturing, to grow a little more into that becoming. You see, our vision is Christ likeness, And if any of us think we've arrived, then we've got something to talk about. (laughs) You know, the core sin is the sin of pride. The sin of pride is what spills out and and populates all other sin, no matter what sin it is. Pride meaning self-satisfaction, self-definition, self-priority. The idea of maturing is I am devoted, I am committed to being a responsible person made in the image of God moving forward towards Jesus today and then again tomorrow, and then again tomorrow. And it's vitally important for me, and I think this is just some of the the fallout of some bad theology when it comes to salvation, is that we have a general assumption that God our Father is somewhat ticked at you, that you're still maturing, I like the word tipped, angry at you. You should be more mature. How dare you still have work to do? How dare you still not look like Jesus? How stupid is that? Can you imagine me going to my first son, six-year-old Bryce? Why don't you know chemistry yet? What do you mean you can't teach about the Hundred Years' War? What do you mean you don't know how to change a tire on your car, dummy? Sometimes we think God's like that, that somehow he's displeased that you're not perfect yet. And I can spill that out a lot more, and I think I need you eventually, but just the idea that that is a bankrupt and ugly understanding of what salvation is. Salvation is life in your father's love. And your father's love is always calling you forward or he wouldn't love you. Would it be loving of me to my six-year-old Bryce to say, you've learned enough. You don't need to learn anymore. There's nothing else for you to do, buddy. Just, Just play with your Legos. There's nothing else for you to do. Would I love Bryce if that was my vision for his becoming? If I felt that was the capacity of his shoes No, that'd be evil. That'd be a form of child abuse for a parent to not help a child mature into who they are. For us to understand that God is calling us to care for our responsibilities, that the whole becomes what they are. So that we are growing, progressing, becoming, building towards this plan that we talked about last week. This plan that we as God's body would function well in the world that God so loved. In particular, that we would care for our responsibilities. I'm just going to finish with a two-sided coin of marks of maturity, of what it would look like if we are maturing, in I-N-G. We'd have a maturing mind. That'd be a mark that you're moving forward, that I'm moving forward, that I'm trusting God to help me become a, If I'm six in my spirit, then I'm becoming seven this year. A maturing mind. Paul says, God has graced us so that we would become like Jesus, so that, another so that in verse 14, so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. I'm going to stay with Bryce as my illustration source this morning. To make the clear point that there is a huge difference between childlikeness and childishness. Childlikeness is a gift where we can have a sense of humor and enjoy the life that God has given us and see beauty and react like a child to, to, to life and its experiences. But child-ishness is what Paul is pursuing against in this text, so that we are no longer be children, that we would no longer be childish. When Bryce was six or seven, he insisted for, it felt like a half a year, but it was probably more like a month, he insisted that he, his name was not Bryce, it was Mickey Mouse. So no matter what day it was, the whole day long, I am not Bryce, I am Mickey Mouse. And Denise decided, let's just go with it. And so she made Bryce a Mickey Mouse tail. And so for that month, he wore a tail too. We still have the tail. (laughs) as a memento of his childhood. But just imagine him now as a 25-year-old teacher, a respectable career, going to work and saying, my name is not Bryce. I'm Mickey Mouse. I'm Mickey Mouse as a 25-year-old. That's childish. That's not, oh, how cute. That's, oh, my gosh. That's not healthy. That's not good. To not be childish means that you are growing in your rootedness in doctrine. Meaning as Christian, as a Christian who is maturing, you understand that worship is not an invitation to check your brain in at the door, but rather to be a person as engaged as you possibly can in the text of scripture, its truths, and its relevance to your life and to your obedience of it. A maturing mind Understanding that we have been given the faith, the faith that we adopt. And there is a childish tendency in the life of the church when Christianity is dumbed down in practical ways. When it it just means loving each other and you kind of get to create a Jesus that you like. That you can have the parts of Jesus you like and leave the parts you don't as long as you're a good person. No, that's childishness and that's deathly you as a Christian have been given a faith already populated in content that you are invited to accept or reject. Does that mean we can't disagree on non-essential issues? No, we can disagree a whole lot in the church, and that's a sign of health, that we disagree about a lot of things out loud and openly. But when it comes to the essential truths of Christianity— When it comes to the the, the creed, when it comes to our catechism, that we are clearly rooted in a faith that we have adopted, not that we have created under our own will and preference. I pray, Paul says, that you will no longer be children tossed to and fro, but rather you'd be rooted and grounded in the truth and you'd understand that it is from the truth that you move forward. It is from your commitment to the truth once for all delivered to you that you say, therefore, I can stand secure in a faith that does not move, that does not shake, that I can stand securely and confidently living in who I am in God. We're caring for our responsibilities, helping the whole mature with maturing minds and finally with maturing relationships. Maturing relationships. The text says, rather... Rather than being a child tossed to and fro, rather speak the truth, the sound doctrine of what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's false. Rather speak the truth in love. We are to grow up into Christ from whom the whole body joined is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's easier to speak the truth not in love. It's also easier to love without the truth. Two common ditches that all of us at times fall into. But this text helps us understand that the truth and love are like two sides of the same coin. Where we are rooted and grounded in the truth, but we're also understand that we're called to share that truth in love. If it's all about truth and not love, then Christians can kind of be nasty people who are arrogant and think they got everything right. But on the other hand, if we're just all about love, then Christians can kind of be sappy sentimental people who don't offer help to anybody because they don't believe anything. I love how Paul helps us understand that a maturing relationship that I have with you is that we are trusting each other more and more every day to tell the truth to each other in love. And really, what I believe that the church is called to be is a laboratory for love. A laboratory for love, meaning as God's people are called, is to learn with each other how to tell each other the truth in love. And to have good enough relationships with one another that when I tell you the truth not in love, you tell me I don't like it that you just said it that way. That's offensive to me. That you're honest with your reaction to me and to your neighbor. Or if I or someone else were to to tell you something that was doctrinally in error, that you would have the courage to say, I love you, but... That's not what the scriptures teach. You see, that's a hard balance. It's easier just to love somebody and and not care what they think. It's easier to just get the truth right in your head and not care about other people. Paul says a healthy, mature body part understands the truth and is able to live with that truth in love, kindness, goodness, gentleness, with the fruit of the Spirit. We can't do that in our own power. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we're full of the presence of God. Telling the truth is hard. Telling the truth in love is harder. But that is what we are. are. (laughs) That is our identity. That is our responsibility to be persons growing into our shoes as individuals and as a whole so that the world might know that God's love it's not just real, but it can be found here. Amen. Amen.